back and I want to look at something here and tie some things together in this chapter. Um, I'm going to get to verse 9 to start, but before we go to verse 9, from verse 1 down through verse 5, you have the writer here bringing Jesus to the forefront and saying that Jesus uh, was faithful in all his house or in all his building. And Moses was also faithful in his house, in the building that God had him involved with, and the building in Moses. Verse 6 now, he brings things now to a conclusion because of what he says in the first five verses. But Christ, as a son over his own house or over his own building, whose building, whose work, uh, whose um, construction you are if you hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, I need some chalk. As the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice. Today, as I said last week, I drew a line here, and I called this line today. Because in every age, with every single person that has ever been alive, there is a today And God calls that always today because God himself lives only in today. And I I realize the word today is is a noun, but the thought there and the meaning there is it's present. Present. Now. And God has created you and I in his image and we only exist now, now we don't exist, not, just when, 10 minutes ago when I first started the lesson, or 5 minutes ago, we don't exist there, we exist now, only now, not in the past, not in the future, but now. And so Moses and the children of Israel, this is a quote from Psalm 95, dealing with the children of Israel, and we'll put this back here, and he says, today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Spoken to the children of Israel, spoken throughout the history of the Israelites, throughout the Old Testament, down to every person that's living, down to us today as we read this, when this was written, after it's written, and now, it's always today. It's always in the present. Today, if you will hear, hear his voice, then we know that the children of Israel did not hear the voice of God. So now here we are, 
living in the now, living in today like God. And we have a today also, which is a set period of time, whatever years God gives us upon this earth. Uh, and I, I, I apply that to believers and non-believers. They all, everyone has a today because they are created in God's image and they live at that present time. Their life is now. And at that present time, if you will hear his voice. Now, in the Bible, you will see this everywhere, if you have you know, eyes to see it. This thing dealing with the voice of God. And those who hear the voice of God, first of all, have to come into a relationship with him. And then once you come into a relationship with him, then now it's something different because now God is going to teach you in a more intimate way. Um, John 10, Jesus says, um, My sheep hear my voice. Uh, how does he say that? Let me go back there and get the exact quote. Is there something else there? John 10, wait a minute. Stay with me. Oh, yeah. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, so that whole thing here of knowing and following is all tied into hearing his voice. And so he goes on here in verse 7, Today, if you will hear his voice, so there, there is a choice there's a choice for every single person that's alive. But in particular, there's a choice for the Christian whether they are going to hear his voice. And, and of course, that's another whole teaching uh, about God speaking, speaking through his word, speaking by his spirit, speaking to your heart, speaking through circumstances, and so on. But however that comes to you, see, see God... God speaks in a way, if he wants you to hear, you will hear it. You may not even be thinking about, is God going to speak to me today? As I have mentioned to you before, I've been at work, and someone come up to me who isn't even a Christian, and I'm not thinking about anything, I'm doing my work, and they'll say something, and the Spirit of God will just bring that to me and, and, and show me that what they said was spoken to me from the Lord. So, so the Lord is quite able to open up your ears to hear something. Now our problem is, we always want to hear what we want to hear when we want to hear it. Lord, I want, I want an answer to this particular problem or whatever, you know, and we want to hear God now. But see, the Spirit of God is the one who determines the when and the what of, of His voice speaking to you. And we don't determine that. But God is quite able to communicate whatever it is He, he wants us to, to know. In our today, 
Now it's up to us. We have the decision. Do we want to hear his voice? Now, what he said to me through this other individual was not something that I really wanted to hear because the Lord was kind of correcting me. I said, okay, Lord, I hear that. I didn't say that out loud, but right away, you know. Have you ever been in a situation and the Lord shows you something and right away you know that you know it's the Lord and you know why he's saying it? For example, if you have a bad attitude towards someone. Whenever I went to Guatemala, the first trip down there, we got on this Greyhound bus. We're going cross country, and, and of course, you know, we were just moving along, and all the people boarded this bus. And when I say Greyhound bus, it's not like a Greyhound bus here, believe me. It's pretty, pretty beat up. The ones they take to the junkyard here are the kind we were going cross country. And we got on this bus, and we all had to, there were three of us, and we had to sit in different places. And there was one seat left open. And, of course, I'm not going to stand for three or four hours. So I said, okay, this is my seat. And I sat down. And as soon as I sat down, the back of the seat was broken. I was sitting there like this. And so I leaned forward. And the whole trip, I had to brace myself like this because every time the guy would hit the gas, I'd fly back like this. And then he hit the brakes, I'd fly like this. And I just got a grin on my face because... Because I knew it was God. I mean, I, I, God was going to put me through it in that, in that trip, and he did. He put me through the ringer, and I just had a grin on my face, and I was happy, and I was joyful, and I said, praise the Lord. But see, he was able to communicate something to me without really even saying much or anything. I, I just knew that I knew that the voice of the Lord was speaking, and, and what he was saying to me was, Hang on, you're going for a ride. <laughs> and it was a wonderful, wonderful trip. Really, really good trip. But he says here, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So, so there is a choice, see. Now when he says here, harden not your hearts, as in the day of temptation, in the day of provocation, that is going back to what he said in verse 6. When he says, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence, or as the classical Greek uh, translates this word, openness. So that you and I ha have this heart that can open to certain things, and can close to certain things. And so we decide whether to open the gate of our heart to something, to someone, or whatever, or to close that. See, we determine that. So that if there's false doctrine, false teaching, uh, false religion, we close that, you see. Or we are to close that. You're not to be open to everything. I mean, there are things out there that, you know, and beliefs that people and religions have that we're, we can hear them, we can look into it, but we're not to open our hearts to it, see. So we determine what we open our hearts to and what we close our hearts to. 
And so if we open our heart to the Lord or to the voice of the Lord, then He can work in our lives to soften our hearts. Now if we close our hearts or we close the door or the gate of our heart, then what happens there is that we begin slowly to harden. And so he says here, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Based upon whether you are opening your heart to God or whether you are closing your heart to him. Whether you are opening your heart to what he's saying or showing or communicating I mean, I, I could have got offended and say, Lord, what are you doing this to me for? Why do I have to go through this? Everybody else on this bus, you know, is in a nice seat. Well, he said, I saved that seat just for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You call it the hot seat? I call it the seat. <laughs> well, how do they say that? Uh, I'm under the spot where the glory was coming out. <laughs> Enjoying myself. Well, I could have hardened my heart and said, you know, Lord, you know, I was faithful in, in answering your call to come down here to the mission field, and, and now look what I have to put up with. <laughs> you know, we think like that sometimes, you know, in our life. Why do I have to put up with this? Why do I have to endure this? Well, you know, now we have a choice. Can we, we can either open our heart, we can close our heart all in, in our own power to do that. So he goes on, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation and in the day of temptation. If you turn to Psalm 95, as I said last week, uh, and we'll get there in a minute, the word provocation and the word temptation is dealing with the words in Psalm are dealing with the incident, two different instances, one in Exodus 17 and one in Numbers 20, uh, dealing with Moses and the rock and the children of Israel in, in, in the rock, not having water. And in those two examples, two things come to the surface. One is trust and one is obedience. And so for us to move forward... In hearing his voice, you know, hear your voice today, hear his voice today. Now to move forward in that, it's going to take trust on your part and obedience on your part. See, they could not enter into God's rest. Now in, in this context here, it's talking about entering into the promised land. They could not enter into the promised land, for various reasons, but he's pointing out some of them here. They closed their heart to God. They did not trust Him. And they were not obedient to what He was saying, showing, and the direction He was, you know, taking them in. And so those two words there... Um, bring that out really nicely in Psalm 95 and in, in uh, Exodus 17. And he goes on and says, Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Now let's go to Psalm 95. 
Now the word here proved in verse 9 in Hebrews means to test. In Psalm 95, it's, it's really the same, the same meaning. Verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. The word proved, again, means to test. The word tempt also means to test, but it also has another meaning. And that meaning means to attempt. To attempt. Well, what were they attempting to do here? By their actions, and I believe by their words, they were attempting to control God or to control the situation. Well, you know, we'll complain about this and, uh, you know, and, and go back to, if God's not going to take care of us, then we're just going to, you know, get captains and lead, we'll have them lead us back into Egypt. And I, I believe that, that they're trying to manipulate God in a way. And you see that many times with younger Christians to where they do things and they say things in trying to manipulate God. And God puts up with that. And many times still I've seen him answer the prayers of a Christian. He doesn't always do that. But answer their prayer even though they're trying to control or attempting to control the situation. Now, you may not understand what I'm saying, but it's true. Now, back in um, Hebrews, I looked these words up here. Now, this is, is interesting to me. In verse 9, it uses the word tempted. Uh, First of all, if you would take the Strong's number and you would look at the, the verses in the New Testament, you will see that the word test, the word try, the word tempt, the word prove are, are all used interchangeably. It's all the same Greek word. They didn't... They didn't keep it the same word, test, 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 because in some instances it doesn't mean test, it means tempt. And, and in this verse here, it uses the word tempt. Okay, now listen to some of the meanings to the, of this word. To obtain information to be used against a person by trying to cause someone to make a mistake. So they're tempting God. Or they're obtaining information that they're going to try to use against God. Uh, it also means to make a mistake, to try to trap. Remember in, in the New Testament, the Pharisees always tried to trap Jesus in his words. They always tried to get him to say or do something so that they could, could turn it around for their own benefit, for their own use, for their own purpose. And that particular heart, I believe, was in the wilderness Israelites also, where they're trying to 
to get something and turn it around to their own uh, way of thinking or for their own advantage. The word proved from verse 9 means examination, to scrutinize, to test God's justice and patience and to challenge him. So in their carnal thinking, they're going to give God an examination or give God a test. And that's what he says here. He says, when your fathers tempted me and proved me. What a difference from James. Let me read James here real quick. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Now that word there means test. It can mean both, but mainly it means test. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And so you have this thing going on many times where you have a circumstance, and in that circumstance you have a dual thing going on where God is testing you, and Satan is tempting you. It goes on in James, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, or tempted of God, for God does not tempt with evil, neither tempt any man. So, so the temptation is not coming from the Lord. Just like in, in uh, Matthew 4, where it says of Jesus that he was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. See, why? For what purpose? Well, God's going to test him. Then it goes on in that verse and says, to be tempted of the, of the devil. And so in the wilderness, you have both things going on. You have Jesus being tempted by Satan and also being tested by the Lord in a different, in a different manner. Still, still, two things are coming. And you'll find this many times in your own life where you may be in a situation and, and there's a test there. God is testing you in that. He could be testing your faithfulness. He could be testing your, your gra- the grace you're giving to others or love, whatever. But there's a, there's a test involved. And then you have something else coming from the side here. And then you have this temptation by Satan to go another way, to do another thing, whatever that may be. Two, uh, two different things going on in the same exact circumstance. So one, you have to hear his voice and open your heart to. And the other, you have to close your heart to. But Christ is a son over his own building. See, you're his building. He's working on you. Whose house are you if you hold fast your openness to the Spirit of God or your openness to what the Lord is doing with you personally? Whatever that may be. So there's quite a a difference when you compare what should be going on 
God should be the one who's doing the testing. Instead, the Israelites are testing God. Totally contrary to the setup in Scripture. Totally different. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. He's talking about in the wilderness, they saw the manna and, and all the, the works, the miracles that he did. They saw that 40 years and continued, if I'm reading this right, because of their heart, continued to test God. Resisting the grace of God. That's, that's, that's what a hard heart does. The soft heart will be open and receive the grace of God. See, God wants to influence you as a Christian. And the method of His influence, of course, is by the Holy Spirit, but the method is grace. And so the grace of God will bring certain things into your life. And he wants to see now, it, you know, what are we going to do now with that? Are we going to hard, harden our hearts? Or are we going to keep our hearts open to the Spirit of God? Wherefore, verse 10, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my way. So now something else comes in to the picture here. Instead of them being exercised toward God and the ways of God, they are exercising themselves in unbelief and in, their, and in their own ways. It's very, very odd, you know, when you start to watch this, you know, even in your own life how we can, we can exercise ourselves, spiritually speaking, in certain things. We can exercise ourselves in trusting God. We can exercise ourselves in unbelief. We can exercise ourselves in faithfulness. Or we can exercise ourselves in unfaithfulness. And it goes on and on and on. So, so there's something that, that, you know, is going on in the heart always. And God says, now I looked at the hearts of the children of Israel. And they exercised themselves in a different direction than in my ways. They're moving in a totally different realm. Now, in Psalm 103, you can turn there, please. Verse 7, one of the things that you will see in this verse is the approach of the Israelites to God is quite different than the approach of Moses to God. 
He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. So that bringing that down to, to today, there are Christians who will approach the Lord as did the children of Israel. And they're interested in the acts, the miracles, the spectacular, and what have you. That, that's their, their, their draw, that's their, their thinking, that's what they want to see. That's the direction of their heart, so to speak. God says, now, the children of Israel, they were exercised in this. They saw my acts. They, they received the manna. They received the quail. You know, they were uh, provided for miraculously for 40 years. But Moses saw my ways. Now, Moses was provided for in the same, same way. He saw the same things they did, but he saw them with a different eye or with a different heart. He trusted God or he believed God. They did not believe God. He made his ways, he made known his ways unto Moses. Well, why did he make his, his ways known unto Moses and not to the children of Israel? See, God is not going to say, okay, now I'm going to single this one individual out and I'm going to show him my ways. And, and you, and you, and you, I'm not going to show you my ways. No. God will show his ways unto us based upon our heart condition or based upon verse 6, are we opening our heart to him, to hear him? Well, I'll hear him as long as I go, when I go on a mission field and get on a bus, as long as the seat's good. No. See, when things don't seem to be going right, sometimes, you know, we want to go a different direction. We close our heart to God. And you see this in, in every church. You know, you have a person... They come to church, God deals with them, and wow, it's fantastic. They're, they're moving along with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. They're gone for months. Where did they go? Well, to, to some degree, in some way, they closed their, their heart in some way to something God was doing or wanted to do, or in, in, in God wanting to bring them here or to any church. You know, there, there's, there's something there in them that closed their heart. And so what God has to do now is, is work in the individual and bring them back in. Now, I mean, that, that's, that's all well and good. But remember, Moses saw the ways of God. And God wants every person here to see his ways. But one of the things that you see in the beginning part of Hebrews here is that Moses was faithful in all of his house. Now, that's not to say that Moses didn't fail. It's not to say Moses didn't make a mistake, which he did. But still, you know, through the failures, through the difficulties, through the problems, you know, through his faults, still he trusted God. 
And, and he moved under this tremendous responsibility that none of us here know anything about or very little about. You know, how many, the responsibility of a million or two million people of which the majority of them were rebellious and always chiding against him? Quite something. Okay, back in Hebrews 3. Oh, here, here's one more thing. I had this um, from Psalm 103.7. The word acts means a performance or a deed, a miracle. The word ways means this, a course of life, mode of action, a way of acting. See, so, so Moses was able to see the course of life, the mode of action, the way, the way God was acting, and you know, could see why he was doing some of the things he did. It will help us greatly if we're able to see some of the ways of God. Because when we have a difficulty in our life and we watch that thing, we will be able to see the hand of God working through that. I would have to say that the Lord has shown me more as far as his ways are concerned when I was going through Tremendous difficulty and problems in my life. At that time, I was able to see the Lord do certain things and, and, and move in the circumstance and situation, and, and, and that's how I was able to learn some things about His ways. So don't think any situation that you're in is hopeless and helpless. It may be hopeless as far as the hand of man, but God was, He is well able to teach you his ways in your life's circumstances, whatever they may be. He's well able to. All you need to do is keep your heart open to see and watch the Lord. Look for the Lord and you'll see. Now, granted, sometimes there's situations you can't see anything because we're so, you know, the situation can be so horrendous and the circumstances are so you know, difficult and clouded with all these different problems and things that are so pressing that we don't see the hand of God and the ways of God moving. But, but he can open someone's eyes to that. Verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed. Now comes <clears throat> in 12 and 13. The admonishment, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief would be a lack of faith or unfaithfulness. Uh, I, I looked up that word, <clears throat> unbelief, and this is very interesting. It says it's the state of being, of being someone in whom confidence cannot be placed. So, so when there's unbelief in the heart, God cannot have confidence in that person because they're, they're in unbelief. Um, in uh, the New Testament, you see one of the um, qualifications for an overseer 
is that he is to hold fast the faithful words. So there's this, this faithful, faithfulness or faithful thing there as a, as a qualification there in the church. Verse 13. But exhort one another daily, that means to encourage. It can mean a few other things also, but uh, one of the meanings I really liked was encourage, and I like I the other meaning it says to call near. So, exhort one another daily. So, when the, when the word is ministered, when I'm ministering the word here, one of the things that I, I hope that God can do through that is by your hearing the word and seeing in the scriptures some things, that that will cause your heart to be brought near to God. That word means to call near. And God does that with his word as it comes forth many times. Um, to bring us from where we are a little closer to the heart of God. So, so it says, exhort one another daily while it is called today. Remember, you only have so much time. I only have so much time. My time is winding down. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I have a few hand <laughs> left. Snap your fingers a couple times. So I may have two, you may have four. But we all have time, so much time. We all are in today. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, your today, my today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, so once again, he, he draws the contrast here. And he says, okay, here you are in your today. Hear his voice. Harden not your hearts. And he goes on here, don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The world system is such that it places sin out there and makes it very, very appealing. And the world system shrouds sin so that when a person becomes involved with certain things, they become deceived and they don't realize that their hearts are becoming hardened. You know, you get a Christian and, and gets involved with certain things and they're not aware that there is this, if you will, like a waxing process. As it says in the scriptures that they've waxed cold. And, you know, it's one little layer at a time. The waxing process is, you know, you dip something, you let it cool, you dip it, you let it cool, you dip it, you let it cool. And eventually, for example, like a candle, it'll get, you know, you get bigger and bigger. The same goes with the wick of your heart. It can be waxed a little bit at a time to where you're not even realizing that you're hardening your heart. And when I say you, I, mean, I don't mean you in particular because you're here and your hearts are, are open to God. But I'm talking about, you know, Christians that, that go their own way and, you know, get involved with certain things that they shouldn't get involved with. And there's, a, there's a, a certain waxing process that takes place. And after so long of that, the wax buildup is so much, the heart is so hardened that it's very, very difficult to break that. You know, you take a candle, for example, that's that big around, big around as a quarter, you can snap it like that. You take a three-inch candle or a four-inch candle, and you're not snapping it so easy, are you? 
Well, God then will take some extraordinary measures to try to break down that process and, and snap that and try to snap that person out of it, so to speak, <laughs> bringing them back where they need to be. But, but that doesn't happen with many, very few. Very few are able to recover from the hardening that, that, that really gets a hold of them through the deceitfulness of sin. I'm talking about someone that's giving themselves in that. You know, it's very difficult to, to break that. God, God is not able to do that in many cases. In some, yes. But in most, no. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence. Now this word here is different than the one in verse 6. This is talking about the foundation that God lays in your life. That's what the word means, foundation. So that as you are holding fast to that foundation, so to speak, which is Christ in your life, okay, by you doing that, you are in a position to be a partaker of Christ. See, you're not initially, the part, there's a partaking when you initially become a Christian. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about as, as you are moving on, uh, as you hold to the foundation, to Christ, that the foundation that he has laid in your life, the good, solid foundation, as you do that, you are, of course, partaking of him. As you go about, as you walk about, as you continue on, you're partaking of him. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our foundation steadfast unto the end. While it is said, he goes back to this again, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So he comes back to this idea of today again. Because it's so important. I don't know how many times he mentions it in here. Probably two or three times at least always bringing us back to the time we have here on this earth. Uh, you hear people say, make that time count. Um, what's the scripture? Um, walk circumspectly. Because we all have a limited time. Hear his voice and do not harden your heart. He comes back to that. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So, so in this verse, he's saying, uh, and we don't have time. No, maybe we'll go. Just go to Numbers and show you just a few scriptures here. For some, verse 16, for some, when they had, had heard, did provoke. And I, I believe he's talking about number 16. Um, or number 13, excuse me. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So in Numbers 13, this is where um, they take the leaders of the different families, and they send them in to spy out the land. 
28. <clears throat> this is after they come back. Nevertheless, the people be strong. This is the, the account of uh, 10 of the, the 12 spies. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities be walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Uh, verse 32. And they, they brought up an evil report uh, of the land, which they, they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we, we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So God already told them that you're going to go in there, and I'm giving you the land to possess the land. And they go in there, and instead of hearing his voice, they harden their voice to his word, and they relate now to what they see. And that is so, so applicable to Christians today. Relating to what they can see with their physical eyes. And so by, by taking that which they saw, the children of Anak and, and so on, they elevate that higher and they esteem that higher than God's word. See, so they did not hear his voice. Instead, they hardened their hearts. That's what, God, what I believe God's talking about. Uh, chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? See, they're provoking him by what they're saying. They're provoking him by their unbelief. And in, in Hebrews it says, Howbeit not all that came out did provoke. And he's talking about, I believe, Joshua and Caleb here. Uh, Numbers 30... I mean, 13, verse 30. And Caleb st uh, stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So, so here you have Caleb who relates not to what he sees. He saw the same exact thing in the natural that the children of Israel did. They saw the giants. They saw all the people of the lands. They saw the walled cities. But that paled in comparison to God's word. He esteems God's word, God's word, and he puts God's word before his eyes, and he sees that rather than seeing what he saw in the natural. And that's, that's, that takes a work of the grace of God to do that, you know, for you and I. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of uh, Jephunan, which were of them that uh, searched the land, rent, they rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it uh, is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, and that's really the, the, the issue there, then he will bring us into this land and, and give it to us, a land uh, which flows with milk and honey, Honey, excuse me. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, 
Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they, they are uh, bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So, so here you see he does not look and put his faith in, in what he sees in the land. So, you know, that's an example for us. So back in, in Hebrews... But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcass fell in the wilderness? To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? And, and he's talking here about, there's, there's, this is a, there's a dual meaning here that we'll look at next week. But he's talking specifically, the, the literal text of it relating to the Old Testament is that they did not enter into the promised land. That would be a place of rest where they eventually after, um, if you'll remember, Joshua goes into the land and they defeat um, like 31 kings. There was a time of, of actual rest where they were not warring against their neighbors. If they would have done what God had shown them to do completely and taken the land as he had, had uh, showed them, in a, in, a, in a thorough way, they would have had complete rest. So he says that, <clears throat> to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Well, to those that believe not. So the Israelites died in the wilderness, not going into the area that God wanted them to go into, to, to take the land. And he says that they... They could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I just want to just give you this real quick. There is a parallel between that and you. There is land that you as a Christian are to uh, conquer. You're to conquer that. And God will lead you into that by faith into the areas that you are not yet so that you also, like the children of Israel should have, will enter into the promised land, what he has promised you individually, in your heart, in your life. You enter into that, and you become a possessor of that, and you enter into a rest because of God's work in your life. So all these things that we look at, and even in the Old Testament... They're, they're all applicable, and there's parallels to be drawn for us in our lives. Now, next week, we're going to start with um, chapter 4, and we're going to, to look at uh, this rest. So we'll continue next week.